From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, head of Lift Labs, and today we're sitting down with John Maida, a leading thought leader in design and technology. John led the Rhode Island School of Design and served as the head of research at MIT Media Lab. Now, with his new book, How to Speak Machine, He's working to bring the rest of us up to speed on the fast-moving world of computational thinking. In this episode, John chats with our producer, Kevin Schmidlin, about the incredible benefits and unintended consequences of growing computation. You'll hear his advice on how to grasp complicated concepts, even if you are a tech novice. And if you're a startup, how long you should wait before pitching an idea or product. We join John and Kevin now live at Lyft Labs. Thank you so much for coming on in today. Glad to be here. So you have recently released How to Speak Machine, which talks about essentially the thought of computational design and computational thinking. So can you start by explaining what computational thinking is? Computational thinking is the way that tech startups think, which is using the cloud and being able to gain the unfair advantage of understanding how Moore's Law works. Right. So when you think about how 10 years ago, Google, Twitter, or whatever, weren't a big deal, how that happened so quickly, it's because they're powered by computation. Before 10 years ago, we hadn't even heard of those companies yet, right? And now they're essentially running the world. So over the past five years or so, there was a rise in popularity in talking about like design thinking, right? So I think that's very well understood. Can you talk about the difference between design thinking and computational thinking? Well, design thinking is a method for collaboration, like getting a team to align using collaborative methods like post-it notes, Sharpies, whiteboards, like let's get on the same page kind of thing. And let's make things once we're on the same page. That's design thinking. Computational thinking is recognizing that, like this podcast, like how is it able to get out to hundreds, thousands of people right. so easily, flawlessly, and it required, in many cases, no cost to distribute it. And how you can design algorithms for the podcast to be listened to, not just by 100 people, but by a million people, each targeted with a different message. Yeah, That's strange. That's what computation can do. Right. Do you think that people have an easy time or a hard time grasping these concepts, or is it just the awareness that brings it forth? I think generally people have a really hard time grasping these ideas because uh, they sound like magic, yeah. and they're referring to something invisible. You can't point to computation. And even if you pointed your finger to the sky, the cloud isn't really there. The cloud is everywhere. It's an invisible force. Yeah, yeah. So in the book, you lay out sort of six different ways to think about machines, right? So you start by saying that machine run in loops, right? Now, would you say that people generally understand that idea when you explain it? I think it's the easiest way to get started to yeah. realize that if you are working with a computer, you have to know it'll never get tired. It'll keep doing the same thing over and over and over. When you call customer support hotline and you're talking to a computer, it will never get tired. Now, this is another one that, you know, you think about exponential growth. It's something that we, we just have such a hard time understanding. Mm -hmm. How do you help people understand that? Well, a simple way to understand it is an old British riddle. 
the riddle goes like this. There's a biologist who has a kind of lily pad that doubles in number overnight. So she clears the pond, plants one lily pad. So next day it's two lily pads. Next day it's four lily pads. So the riddle goes, the pond is full on the 30th day. So on what day was the pond half full? Most people will say on day 15, but in reality it's on day 29. One day before. Because it was half full. Right. And on day 15, the pond was 0.003% covered. Wow. <laughs> which is bizarre. Yeah. But that's exponential speed. Yeah. And computers work with exponential speed and scale. Yeah. Looking at the landscape today that you brought up before, Amazon, Twitter, these exponential growth companies, is the pond full now? Oh, not at all. The, pond's, the pond is, uh, what, what the pond that they thought was full like 10 years from now or whatever right. is going to get filled, more space gets opened up. That's the weird time we're living in yeah. where big keeps getting bigger. How can we plan for that? Well, how can we plan for that? We can have an exponential mindset. Right. Like, of course it's day 29. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, when I was first asked that question, I thought, well, day 15, of right. course. Right. So, you know, even for myself, who's been in it for a while, I have to kind of adjust to realizing this is a strange world. Yeah. Yeah. You then go on to talk about how machines are incomplete. They can be instrumented and they automate imbalance. Now, first off, machines are incomplete. Well, that's the idea that if you're a tech startup, you are better off deploying a small version of it, Yeah, what they call the cupcake, instead of spending all this time making the perfect wedding cake. You can take two years to make the wedding cake and show it to nobody, or you can take a month and show the cupcake. An incomplete idea is better than a complete one because you can deploy it faster. And now does that draw upon... Like, is that the same sort of idea as MVP, minimum viable product that the startup exactly. culture has embodied? But, and the MVP is hard to understand because for someone who loves to make things really amazing, what do you mean minimum? Yeah. Like, no, 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 let's do it right. Yeah. And doing it right means finishing it. Yeah. Which is like, let's, let's spend a couple of years until we show it to anybody. That was a time when you would use physical materials. When you made a mistake, it was costly. But if you're working with cloud-based materials... You can deploy it at zero cost. You can pull it back at zero cost. Yeah, over and over again in over the same day again. almost. Can be instrumented. What does that mean? Well, the reason why you can ship an incomplete product is because you can instrument it. You can have a wire on it. You can know what it's doing, how it's doing. So I made that cupcake. Clearly nobody liked it. That was a bad cupcake. Let's try cupcake two. Oh, people really like it. But they don't like this one part of it. Let's add a cherry instead. And we know it because it's instrumented. We have data to understand it. It's measuring so that you can increment in ways that makes it better. Yes, and it used to be that if you made something incomplete, it'd be costly to recall it. It used to be to make something instrumented costs a lot of money, but now both things cost almost zero. Virtually nothing. Now, in 2006, you released the Laws of Simplicity, which basically showed how technology needed to be built to understand humans the way we think. Now you're helping us, helping us humans understand technology, right? How did you recognize that need? It was primarily because I, I didn't recognize how lucky I was to understand computers from an early age and make it into my, my life work. 
And I took it for granted that everyone understood these things. And then when I was in the Silicon Valley, I saw how it that that's a kind of privilege that certain people have access to and others do not. And that's not healthy. Do you think that we can successfully train the masses on this type of specialized knowledge? Well, I think making everyone into like a Facebook class developer is, is not going to happen with this book. Yeah, I call this book kind of like Spanish One or like a tourist visa. It's not meant to make you into an expert, but it's made to like give you a sense of the taste of it. You know, when I saw Netflix Stranger Things, I got really excited because the upside down world is the computational world. It's this weird parallel universe where weird stuff goes down. And if you understand it and you're aware of it, you can actually sort of like coexist with it. So I feel the same way. So I personally, though I'm in media now, have a degree in computer science and spent a few years as a software developer. And, you know, I see so many people, right, who have just sort of dismissed their ability to understand stuff like this, right? Like, oh, I could never, they, they think that we as programmers are, are magicians who have this weird God-given talent that they just will never have. But it really isn't that hard if you, if you, you know, think about it and take the time to learn it. So what would you say to those folks? Well, well, it's actually, it's actually pretty hard to become someone who can major in computer science and to succeed in it. A lot of factors are in your favor to be able to, you know, manage a two-year or four-year program, if not longer. Like when I think about my own background, I grew up in Seattle. And if it wasn't for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who in the civil rights movement of the 60s, in the 70s, the schools in Seattle were desegregated. So I lived in the primarily African-American, Samoan-American part of Seattle. And I was lucky to get bused to the other side of Seattle, which had nicer schools, uh, nicer books, had a computer. So I think back to how, like, if I didn't have that sort of twist of fortune, I would never have seen a computer. At the same time, a lot of my classmates from where we lived together were African-American. I saw countless times how they were placed in conditions at the school I went to where they weren't given the opportunity to take advantage of the resources that were there because of stereotypes. And so I've always felt that I've been lucky as a kind of type O minority to kind of move between worlds. I see that's an important aspect for a lot of folks in tech to realize that there is privilege and how do you share and what tech can bring. That brings to mind uh, an anecdote that you brought up in your TED Talk in, I think it was 2012, about how your father, or how, so you were told, or, or your father was told that you were good in math and art, right? And then at one point, was it your father dropped the art part? Is that right? Yeah. I would say that society kind of still does that. You're either a science, math, or you're you know, left brain or right brain, right? Do you think that, A, is that true? Can everybody think in both ways? You know, that thought came during an era where I, I felt that the arts are really critical to everything. And if you read the book, I talk a lot about art and its importance. What I do want to note is that getting to make art is something that most people don't have access to. It isn't at the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's the one thing you get to do. And so having access to art, the privilege of that, Combining it with technology, 
that's where a lot of unlock and careers are is happening right now. And I think that for tech entrepreneurs, they get to combine the two with capital. So just to get there is really important for more people, I believe, right now. Yeah, we should try to see how many, if we can get everybody in that, in that space, right? Can you tell me about the difference between WOW and after WOW? The challenge of design is that it's always about like, I'd like you to make it amazing looking, make it WOW. And my friend at Muji talks about how they design for the after WOW, which is you buy it, you bring it home, it's in your house for a few weeks and you're like, look at it and like, Wow, it's made an impact in my life. So after wow is not about the candy-colored coolness. It's more about the transformative power of something you brought into your life that makes it better. That's truly good design. So a lot of the listeners of this program are young entrepreneurs who are either just starting out, just developing a product, just building their startup, or maybe not even there yet, maybe just thinking about it and are looking to be inspired to do so. What would you say is one piece of advice you'd have for a young entrepreneur who might be getting into designing or building a product for the first time? Definitely for entrepreneurs today to ask the question before they even begin making their company is how inclusive are they and who are they excluding? And so how do you actively break the bias? Because then you'll create a product company that can actually address a larger market because a lot of the unconscious biases that you're stuck with, with people who are so similar, you might be able to avoid. Are there any examples that come to mind of companies or products that have achieved that? I think Slack has done a great job at building a corporate culture that from the beginning was much more diverse than any other company out there. So is it true that you, that you made basically the leap from Silicon Valley to help legacy companies compete with the new tech giants? Yeah, I'm at Publicis Sapient, where that's our, our job. We help older established companies basically know how Google does what they do. If another company can harness that exponential growth, maybe there's one that'll start tomorrow and can compete next week, right? (laughs) Yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's true. Could happen in 10 years from now. Hopefully so. Maybe five years, given the way things move. John, thank you so much for joining us today and being on the show. Thank you. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more information and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was hosted and produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Angela Gervasi, mixing and editing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time.